Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have Kevin Bailey, Vice President of Channel and Go-To-Market Strategy at Cybrillance. And Kevin has been a go-to-market and analysis specialist for over 20 years, covering research, technology, evaluation and integration across data, cybersecurity, SaaS, and emerging technologies. He has helped launch some of the leading data storage and security technologies, including robotics, dual reel tape drives, virtual disk, endpoint security, blockchain, and network security, as well as running the security software research practice for IDC in Europe. Kevin, welcome to the gumbo. Thank you very much, and it's uh, it's great to be here, and thank you for that introduction that makes me look um, like I know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> hopefully I can I can live up to it as well. Yes, and anyone that has tape in their background is worthy <laughs> of being worshipped uh, from a storage perspective. <laughs> exactly. Tape is not dead. It's still there and it's still got a place to play in. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm very proud of, and that was my heritage at Storage Tech many years ago. Storage tech. Yeah, I do remember that company and uh, STK, octagonal type. That's correct. Um, tape, tape robots, brownish color. Yep. Yeah, I remember them like yesterday. And uh, I primarily worked with the IBM 3494, the big square boxes yep. that line up next to each other. You keep adding on and they become like so long in the data center. Uh, just, I always thought the IBM system was great for a car wash. And uh <laughs> and the robot goes up and down and can do really well. But yeah, no, ourselves and, and IBM and a couple of other companies, yeah, we had the market in those days and, and it was a great learning experience. And uh, like you say, introducing things like the 3490, the uh, dual reel tape drive uh, when I lived in Colorado, that was uh, really good fun. Nice. And so I brought you on to to have a kind of an extensive conversation around cybersecurity and yeah. things like ransomware. Uh, events like that are happening often, like I think, what is it, every 14 seconds or something, you know, crazy uh, to that perspective. But I brought you on to get your insights on really trying to figure out you know, why data is being exploited. And also just let's take a look over the last five years. What have you seen just overall with the way that data has become the prime resource and why in 2022 that data seems to be exploited and kind of breaches are happening very frequently? Yeah. So let's let's get the the architecture out of the way. So yeah, whether it's the yeah your DNA or the new gold, the the new oil uh, that is out there. Yeah, data's valuable, uh, and it's yeah it's got valuable. Yeah, and it, and it can be seen. Yeah, when I started in computers, we were working on one megabyte. 
yeah, memory systems. Um, so yeah, uh, if your viewers could see me, they would turn around and say, you know, I'm looking good for my age. But you are. One of the <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that, yeah, the main thing is the last five years, there's, there's probably two areas. Data at the end of the day is either something you use proactively or you're going to use it reactively. Yeah, so from proactive standpoint, and we've all seen the way the world has changed in the last five years, especially in the last two, two and a half years, you know, data is there as a business edge. It always has and it always will be. You know, it's there for things like product development, for customer support, online engagements. You know, how many of us hate you know, sitting on a phone now or having to go and walk into a store to do something? We do it all online and it data that drives that. Medical advances, yeah, when you look at the things like haptic systems within medical uh, solutions that are out there today, yeah, those sort of things that are driven through machine learning and deep learning systems, which, you know, everyone talks about AI as though it's something brilliant, but without machine learning, deep learning with data, it's useless. Yeah, it's all about how you put that. So from a proactive side, yeah, lots of people are doing it and, and gaining ground in that, but reactively as well. Analytics is probably the biggest thing that's out there. Everyone wants a cut of data in different ways. You know, I, I, I'm a lover of spreadsheets. You know, if Microsoft ever took away uh, Excel, I think I'd sit in the corner and cry. You know, so I live on analytics and I want to you know, take the data and find out new things about it. But if you look at it from the security side as, as well, yeah, things like threat intelligence, where you start analysing the activity that's going on, you're trying to be preemptive in your activity, but it's reactive because you're looking at things that happen and trying to make a judgment on whether or not that could come down later on as well. So I think in the tech industry alone, you know, and then as it works to businesses and consumers, data is, yeah, it's it's exponential. It's that horrible word that we've heard for, for years, which is it keeps growing, right. you know, and, it, and it's not going away. Mm -hmm. do, do you ever think that we will get to a point in society where data will level off and... <laughs> It's no longer growing at an astronom astronomical rate, and we will actually get to a place where maybe the data starts to decrease. Do you think that that will ever happen in the future? Maybe we should ask Elon Musk whether or not that's part of his goals coming down. But you know, you, you have to come back to you know when is enough, you know, and and yeah, you know, when do I have enough data? Um, to actually do what I'm trying to perform, you know, because at the end of the day, the data is there to do something. Um, so, yeah, if you stopped taking data, yeah, at which point are you not going to be answer, be able to answer what if? What if I had data from before? How could I look at trends and analysis going forwards? We we do deal with so. Yeah, without data, you've got no basis to work from. I'm a very empirical person. So, yeah, everything for me is data first, gut instinct second. And you, yeah, it's you, you put the two together in how you work that. And I think the 
yeah, some of the challenges around when is enough is you look at the storage providers, you know, the, the people that are providing the technologies. You know, when I first sold um, a disk subsystem or was an, an SE selling disk subsystems, they were about $2.50 uh, a megabyte, you know, so you didn't need many of those to actually do your number. So, and look at what you do today, but both in the price because they've got the density down, so Moore's law is still working really well. But there's also different architectures, yeah, the immutables as well as the raids and, and you know, and, and copy versions and managed arrays as well as random that is there. So that gives you a challenge of saying, well, if I can store it cheaply, why shouldn't I keep it all? But the key part is new data is always critical. We know that. So the latest stuff you've got to have, it's down to how much of the older data do you really need to keep? You know, because if you keep it, a storage manager is going to be seen as a hoarder. You know, it, it's like you walk in their house and what are you going to do? Find floppy disks and, and cartridges all over the place uh, that are in there. And then the last piece on this is how does it impact the green conversation because there are more and more companies and I talk to companies you know, uh, on a regular basis that always raise the question of, well, will this help us becoming you know, uh, net zero on our emissions and stuff? Well, if you're storing data, transporting data, and whether it's through a channel or physically, how can you be green if you're holding on to a mountain of magnetic carbon? You know, so you've got that conversation as well. So there's operational, but there's also that element to you that says that I'm doing the right thing ethically as well. Okay, so you're saying that there is a a point that where you you get to a point, or you may, or we may get to a point where we need to start analyzing, I guess, the infrastructure behind where we're storing the data um, and things are being consumed like power and cooling and electricity and, you know, from that perspective and how are we harnessing the capability to kind of keep these data centers running um, as we are continuing to grow these workloads that are running in the cloud or even on-premises. You know, one thing that I, I also want to ask you as well is around just the overall cyberverse. So think of metaverse and, you know, the whole cyber world, you know, where the internet exists and the WWW, World Wide Web. Also, so some of the differences between uh, cybersecurity and cyber resilience, is, is that the same thing in your, from your perspective or is that different? No, it's, it's, it's so far apart. Um, unfortunately, um, a lot of people think about cybersecurity and cyber resilience as just another thing. Yeah, do I put a hyphen between cybersecurity and yeah, cyber and security and and or not? Yeah, it's two very very different things, but are very interlinked. So, and 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 it plays so well into the yeah into the data space and the backup recovery and the storage space. Yeah, cybersecurity is what we see every day. It's all those leading vendors out there that provide the tools that stop bad things from happening. I, you know, and it and it can be both intentional or unintentional events, incidents where 
you know, a hacker tries to get into your network. So that's a cyber attack against a cyber incident. You know, a cyber attack, I'm going to use many, many different vectors to try and get in. I'm going to use email phishing. I'm going to try and denial service on your networks. I'm going to put some ransomware into your system. Cybersecurity vendors, you know, all out there covering endpoint detection, network detection, SIMs, yeah, many, many things, firewalls. That's their job to do that and to look for those people. Cyber resilience is the other side, which says whether you like it or not, something's going to happen that you don't want to happen and you need to maintain a level of resilience and operational uh, activity whilst it's going on and after it has finished. So, you know, cyber resilience sometimes fits into that thing of you don't know what you don't know. It's like buying an insurance policy. You don't ever want to buy it in the first place and you don't actually want to claim on it because you get you lose your no claims bonus and things like this, you know, that is in place. So cyber resilience fits into enterprise risk management. So what if the global economy fails? What if the vertical market that I operate in starts to have a decline? What am I going to do as a business? When it's related to cyber, it is what can I do to ensure that when something happens that I was not expecting, my systems can may be maintained as resilient and I've still got access to my data, my devices, my employees are safe, things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, what do you say to someone, maybe a CIO, or, or it really doesn't matter, anyone who's responsible for the resilience and also, let's say, disaster recovery of their systems, and since now, you, in, and you've been around for a while, where workloads were primarily running within a data center, so that on-premises workloads, and then the cloud came around and it started growing, and then AWS and Google and Microsoft Azure, they started marketing cloud as this magical and amazing thing where you, you just put things there and all your problems are solved, right? <laughs> And uh, you, you, you have agility and you have, you know, cost savings and you have security. And even mm. security was like a conversation that people went back and forth. Oh, it's not secure if it's in the cloud. Where does backup and recovery fit, uh, I guess, within cyber resilience? And is, is that something that you see that fits in that category or does it fit somewhere else? No, it, it does. It, it's, yeah, at the end of the day, Backup recovery is not a cybersecurity product. It doesn't stop mm -hmm. things coming in. What it right. does, it, it is there to ensure that you can recover data, in this case, to a specific time or point that you're after. Now, does it fit in today's cyber resilience market? Mm, it did. But... There's a specific thing, which is a recovery time objective has accelerated that today to maintain, maintain its pace with digital operations. Now, I worked at Symantec. We owned Veritas at that point before they resold them off. Um, I've worked at storage companies where we uh, work 
worked in in that space as well. The key thing about backup and recovery is it was always built for business continuity and disaster recovery scenarios. It was built for an era when I wanted to go and do a business continuity test and would go and bring up my system at a third party and then you would recover using those yeah, uh, copies of the data. So yeah, every good person follows the NIST principle of three copies you know, um, that you have, one on site, um, one off site and one on a different medium. Great. Now you've got a problem in today's environment saying, what if my backup co- uh, software catalog is compromised? What happens if my disk um, software, because most disk subsystems are run on software, is compromised? What happens if I have a denial of service attack? Tell me which one of those copies I can bring my now time-sensitive system back up online. Yeah, it's unlike cybersecurity that has morphed into multiple subcategories, endpoint protection platforms, network protection, SIMs. Yeah, all of these things have gone because the cyber industry has realized that yeah, it's more than just the one aspect. Yeah, you know, when Eugene Kaspersky and Peter Norton and John McAfee yeah you know, first started in cybersecurity with endpoint protection, it didn't stay there. But backup and recovery has. So when I see backup and recovery and it's saying we can give you ransomware protection, sorry, but you know, you've just given in to the marketing people. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't stop it. And what's it going to do to make sure that my systems are operational in a time that is applicable? You know, and I'm talking about, yeah, a couple of hours to bring the system back. Let's give some leeway in this. Not 17 days, which is what is being put out at the moment through uh, the data breach reports uh, that are coming down that everybody reads and, and, and believes in, you know. Backup recovery needs to change, and it needs to do it so that it appreciates the change in digital operations that people have today. Yeah, I, I can have this conversation with you all day long, Kevin. And uh, <laughs> man, you, you, your, your skill set is, is pretty phenomenal. And when you when you start having a conversation about security, and you mentioned the different subcategories of security, and I was, I think I've had a conversation on at least 10 or 15 different topics around security. So getting ready to have a conversation with the guy around GPU analytics and security from a networking perspective, which I didn't really know was a thing. API security, right? That's a whole thing, trying to protect the uh, the API where the conversation actually happens between the zeros and ones from one system trying to pull data and information out of another one. Um, then you have, um, what's, what's the other one? Oh, you have the physical things, right? The endpoint uh, security, and then you install these devices. And it's just a, it's a broad category. I think it's growing every day and you're seeing startups pop up all over the place now every week. Uh, to do some sort of aspect of protecting data. Uh, but I, I want to get your perspective on uh, maybe a CIO or even a CISO, um, just from a software as a service perspective. Is is everything okay if 
you have a, a application running in the cloud, right? And everything's safe, right? It's, it's in the cloud, so it's protected by the software as a service platform. They protect it for me, right? And what about the data that's in it? What, what do you say to someone who thinks, oh yeah, it's in, it's, it's in, it's in my SaaS platform and it's, it's all protected? The easiest way, and <laughs> what's the, the most politically correct way, it's, it's like saying, you've never met me before. Um, tell you what, give me your wallet I'll go and make sure I only spend $5 out your wallet and I won't touch your credit cards. Yeah. Why would you trust me? Yeah. Somebody saying, yeah, yeah, yes, Microsoft, Google, Amazon are big companies. But so what? Yeah. At the end of the day, in this, in the security and the data market, when somebody says, I have, yeah, this company has just lost 10 million records. I really do not care that you've lost 10 million. What I care about is you lost mine, that one, because that's what's impacting me. The 10 million's not. You know, if you look at the fines that are going on at the moment that are being uh, issued to companies that have not protected correctly, by using cloud platforms without doing due diligence against them, um, yeah, you deserve to be fined. Yeah, no rightful CIO, CISO, yeah, CTO is ever going to sign up with a cloud SaaS platform without making sure, one, the infrastructure is resilient and it meets their needs. That's the difference between when cloud arrived to where it is today. When it arrived, you just trusted them. Yeah, how many times did you go and look under the covers to see, so what backup system have you got? What endpoint security are you using? What firewalls? They just trusted them. That doesn't happen today. So, yeah, today the CIOs go in there and they check them out and they check them out thoroughly to make sure it's in there. SaaS providers, that's the way people want it. They want this metered ability to buy uh, procure products and then give them up when and if they want to because things change in business. So from a CISO, CIO's viewpoint, you know, cloud's where it, you need to be. Whether it's public, private, hybrid cloud, that's their call. Yeah, and, and you know what? You, you'll be surprised that how many C-level executives may still not be aware that the data that they're creating in these platforms are their responsibility to make sure that it's stored in a third party somewhere, right? And, you know, one, one maybe one final question. I, I really want to get your perspective on maybe providing the audience with maybe the best method for protecting their systems from something like ransomware. You have any overall recommendations on things that they can do yeah put it this way uh, if if i was going to say to them tell you what i'm going to turn up at walmart and buy something off the shelf that does it i'd lie you know as i said to somebody the other day on a uh, a conversation um you'll never get guarantees from me um yeah you know, i was a semantic and we weren't allowed to say 100 percent. yeah because the lawyers would say what you need to do is it, it is about its maturity of your infrastructure at the end of the day. And when you look at this now from a perspective of, one, you've got to stop it coming in 
until you, if it does come in, because it will come in and we're seeing that that's happening, yeah, through all the good things that the cybersecurity companies are trying to do, when it does come in, I need to make sure I can handle that. So make sure you've got the most robust cybersecurity infrastructure that's relevant for the data and the operations you have. You will never be able to afford the best of everything. And you don't need the best of everything. You need to make sure you have a balanced portfolio that meets that. On the cyber resilience side, I when things come in, yes, training people up to respond correctly, yeah, to dealing with that and, and more involvement of trusting individuals rather than saying they're just the weak link. But you've got to make sure that you can separate this yeah, from a data viewpoint, yeah, backup and recovery has got to be segmented into three areas. One is time-sensitive recovery. I want this stuff back, I my data back, in an hour, in two hours, over my lunchtime. I want to be able to do it as a user. Yeah, if somebody attacks a system and they take down um, my PC, I want the ability to recover that. Yeah, don't depend on the IT resources. Yeah. If it's my server farm that is on out there, then make sure those can come back in the same aspect but can be centrally managed, you know, that's there. Then you have business continuity and you have disaster recovery. So, yeah, where the likes of Veritas and Convol and uh, Acronis and all these people fit in today, they need to look at where they are really effective in providing the non-time sensitive activities where there is a dependency on the storage, the network, the backup software. That needs to come away so that there is no dependency. It's at the device level and everything can be managed you know, in that area. And it's gotta be done at both the unstructured and structured level as well. You know, People forget and they go, well, it's just the unstructured stuff. Well, I have a client at the moment that's got 13 million files on one container, you know, uh, that we're working with. And that's normal operations for them. You know, they'll go, why have you got 13 million files? Because they have. That's their business. You know, they've also got big databases as well. So you've got to make sure that you segment it correctly, make sure your cybersecurity is well balanced for what you're after and you mature through that cycle. And now look at the cyber resilience and get cyber resilience in as part of an enterprise risk management policy so that people accept that and you, know, you can maintain your systems online. Technologies exist out there that says, even when I'm experienced a ransomware attack, I can now sort my systems out while the IT security people are doing their good job. You know, I don't need to be down. You know, and that's the key. Awesome. So those are some some great insights. And one one final question before I I let you go here, and just uh, curious as to you know what's on your nightstand. What what are you reading these days? What am I reading? Oh. I'm an avid bookworm, but I, I'm a, I'm a fiction person. I, I read fiction that is normally about um, 
unfortunately people dying um team of crime officers uh, okay you know so i'm a big fiction fan i also like that there's a uh, an author called graham seymour uh, who's mainly uk based and he writes about different countries terrorist activities that have happened but then puts a fictional spin around it so I like that, but I like learning stuff as well. So okay. all about the brain, how it works. And if I had one, it would be really good. Okay. Well, what, are you, what are you learning now that's connected to your position? To my position, it's mainly about new pricing policies. No, oh, pricing. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. No. <laughs> it is because, and it's interesting, you spoke earlier about cloud. Right, you know, yeah. People are looking, you know, bring your own licenses that are there, move your licenses. So whether I have a license that sits in the cloud and then comes out the cloud and goes back on premise again, I must, I, companies want it transportable. So you look at elements that, uh, are working around you know those areas that it's doing as a pastime as well because i i do the awards for the mobile world congress for the identity and access management category so yeah identity and access and multi-factor authentication biometric logins and stuff like this there's some really cool stuff coming down you know Anyone tells me they've got a password, I'd probably bring them a you know, a piece of chalk and a blackboard to say that's how far back you are. You know, get off the passports and one-time passwords. Yeah, you don't need them. Yeah, use biometrics, use multi-factor authentications in the systems. They're, they're so much better and easier to use. Kevin, yes, it's it's definitely been a pleasure to have you on the gumbo. I've enjoyed your insights and I'm hoping and I'm sure that our listeners will have some some takeaways and may, maybe they could reach out to you uh, maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm sure you're, you're open to, to receiving replies and requests to connect. Um, so once again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get you back in the future. It's a pleasure and I'm always up to be connected and yeah, like you say, Twitter, LinkedIn, Mastodon, I'm on. Um, so um, everyone's trying out a new Twitter at the moment. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you'll find me on there. Please reach out, you know, so uh, uh, happy to engage. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.